Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Kate Chambers, a book lover and senior regional communicator at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. If you enjoy this conversation, remember to subscribe, like, and share. Chambers, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. It's wonderful to be here. So, Kate, this is for us a recognition of the beautiful work that you do. We absolutely love seeing you traveling around the country, distributing books, honoring authors. I absolutely love, 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 love what you do. And um, the question is, why do you do this stuff? Thank you, and um, I'm honoured by what you say. I, there are two very, very simple reasons. One is that I love being a part of a community of readers and writers. There are amazing writers in Zimbabwe. There are lots and lots of people who love reading. And I think there's a very special recognition um, between writers and readers. And so it's, it's, it's wonderful to be a part of that. And the other is a very personal thing. Um, I love libraries. I grew up in the east of England in a small market town called Horncastle. It had a library in which I spent a lot of time. Um, it's not a particularly old library, but it has, it's built over a very historic part of the structure of the town. So it's built over a Roman wall. So as a child, I would walk into that library, walk over the Roman wall, walk into this amazing space where um, I mean, it's by no means the most impressive library in the UK. But there were spaces for children. There were spaces where you could sit with newspapers. There were people to help you with your research. And my parents would drop us off there while they ran and did errands. So I'd go with my sisters. I'd go there to do homework. It would be raining outside, as it often is in the UK. And those are just special memories. Wow. And uh, then I went to university, spent a lot of time in libraries there. And I have to say that wherever I've traveled, I've always tried to go and see the library. Mm. And so when I came to Zimbabwe, I also came to see libraries here. So, so um, interesting that that library that you 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 describe in in, in such graphic detail. Um, do you think the way that you raised your parents? Did you see your parents reading? Is that how you go to like books? That's such a good question. So my parents always had books piled on their bedside tables. Um, and I, of course, didn't notice it at the time, or I didn't register it as being important. But I always saw my parents with books. My mother would read to us in the car on car journeys. Um, so that's a very happy memory. Uh, my father was 
I like to say he was a poet. He would say he was not a poet. He's a chemist, but he used to make up rhymes for us when we were very small. He does it for his grandchildren as well. So I was always in in a place where text and writing and words were important,、mm. um, and that's what I've tried to do for my own children as well. The the, the the connection. When does the connection happen between? I used to see. Books on their bedside, but it didn't mean anything at that particular moment. I'm asking because a lot of us read, have books around us, but our kids are not reading.、Uh, and I'm hoping that、uh, at some point we'll get to a point where they say, I-, "I saw mom reading, I saw dad reading, and I'm reading." And I'm trying to get that connection for you. When did you like? Wow! I saw books on his hair. Bedside table, and that's why I'm reading. So I don't think that I really thought about it until I became a parent myself, and it was stressed to me then that books have to be accessible to children. So you need books at child's level, and of course, bedside table level is where your your children are playing around.、Um, I think, though, that I I saw. I mean, I, I instinctively saw my parents turning pages. And whether whether the, as a very young child, whether I connected that with books on the bedside table, I'm not sure.、Mm. But I do know that they made books accessible. We didn't have lots and lots of children's books.、Uh, my father's study was full of chemistry manuals and and so and and、uh, and commentaries. And so there wasn't. You know, I think I had a small shelf of fiction or books that were my own. But they made sure that they saw us that we saw them. Uh, reading books, and they made sure that libraries were accessible, including、mm. school libraries.、Mm. You know, the, the other reason why I, I thought we should sit and have this conversation is because books have been hugely important for my development. I'm dyslexic, and it took me a long time to start reading. I actually started reading, I think, when I was thirty, when I was the editor then of the Financial Gazette.、Yeah. I didn't like reading because I beckled reading until a good friend of mine, may、um, so rest in peace,、uh, Iden Weatherall, gave me a book and said, "I want you to read this book," and I started reading that book. From then on, I've been turning pages. I can't, I cannot have a book by my side, and it's been a big part of who I have become. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, it does, and I think.、Um... I think it's it's the phrase you use there about turning pages.、Um, I think that we all come to books from a different place,、mm. and、um, I have went, quite a few years ago. I have a friend who worked in publishing in London, and when I had my first child, she said,、uh, and he's a boy, she said, Kate, all that matters is that they turn pages. And、um, and so she encouraged me to to get car magazines, and just to make sure that my son was turning turning the pages of car magazines and getting that getting that instinct、um, to 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 read out or to just just to to get acquainted with text and pictures. And I think also it's really important to not limit our view of what books are.、Um, They don't always have to be fictional stories. They don't always even have to be written down.、Mm. Podcasts are another form.、Mm. So I think、um, I think that has been part of my journey.、Mm. 
mm. understanding those to, things. To, to talk to me about your 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 work, which I've been following quite closely on um, on, on on Twitter mainly and a bit of in Instagram, where you, you where you get books and you distribute them. Where do you get those books? Where do you distribute them? Why? Do, I mean, why do you do this? You've already answered that question, but perhaps where do you get them? And where do you distribute them? How do you decide where you send the books? It's a really good question. It's a long project. It started um, in about 2010-11. It came from personal experience. Um, I was in Zimbabwe at the time, and I had two really key experiences that made me think again about um, about books and the importance of them. One was a, uh, a mother of a child about, about my son's age, my, my first child's age, and... Shall we call him Sam? Let's call him Sam. <laughs> because he is Sam. <laughs> he is Sam. Yeah. Um, and she was, um, she was working in a school, um, at arm's length in a school, and she said, Kate, please won't you come to the school? I know how much you love books. Please won't you come, and please will you see what's on offer there, and, and please won't you help? And so she was really instrumental in introducing me to something I already knew, which was that children love books, but often don't find that books are accessible to them. Um, and so she started me off trying to, to, to pull together from my own networks collections of books that I could, in the first instance, that I could give to teachers who I was working with. The second experience was uh, my husband and I were traveling uh, from the east of Zimbabwe. We were traveling to South Africa and um, we were on that lovely road. I, I often take pictures, but the road between Matari and Birchnoff Bridge. Um, and you go through the, the Marangi Diamond area and uh, you know, stunning, stunning landscapes. And we, it, was, it was a very quiet road that day. And we came on a police roadblock and we could, now I, I always feel slightly worried whenever I see a policeman, this is my upbringing, and I always feel that I'm gonna get into terrible trouble. So we stopped, wound down our windows, the policeman came round and he noticed, because we were on a long journey, he noticed we got books on the, on the dashboard. And so he checked, he checked my husband's driving license, it was all fine, and he said, please, have you got a book you've finished with? Could you let me have something to read? And so we looked at the books and I was, I was partly ashamed that I didn't have a better selection, but it made me realize, you know, it was out in this, this in quite a remote area and there just, this, this, this policeman wanted to read and there just weren't many opportunities. So I took those experiences, I plugged into my networks. A lot of them are external. So friends in the US, in South Africa, in, in the UK, in the end also from Poland and Israel. And I started to ask people to send books. So that's how it started. Wow. Some of those people who sent parcels are still doing that. Mm. I got one, yes, I got two yesterday from Edinburgh, um, from a lady called Fenella, who has been sending, I think for, gosh, it must be nine wow. years. Wow. So people who, who love books themselves and who want to share that joy. And then I think, as you've already said, I'm also very keen to get as many books as possible from mm. Zimbabwean writers mm. uh, into, mm. into local reading networks. Mm. Where is the kick for you there? Where is the 
satisfaction? Where is the reward for you there? So it, it comes back to what I said about that recognition mm. between people who write, people who read, the idea of um, being able to share the joy of reading mm. and, and the stuff that you learn from it, and then just recognizing its value. Mm. You know, people who read lead, mm. um, and, that's, and that's also really important to me. Mm. Share with us <laughs> a, a particularly interesting response to what you do. Oh, there are so many. I mean, I don't even know where to start, but last night I got a WhatsApp from um, a wonderful guy who runs a, um, a, a project encouraging children in Ngozi Mine in Bulawayo. And I hope Andesiwe won't mind me mentioning this. And so he does this amazing work with children. Um, and, I, and I have tried, and, and many other people support him, I've also tried to support him with books and, and reading materials. And he, he sent a picture of his own, he has, a, he has a child, sent a picture of his own child with a book. And, um, and that's just, to me, it was just wonderful to see both the brilliant work that he's doing and, and then how, how he's bringing up his own mm. children. Um, I think um, one of the other examples I can mention is Tongagara Camp. Um, in, in the southeast of Zimbabwe. Um, there are lots of people doing brilliant work there. Um, there is a, uh, a, a library um, run by a team of young people who call themselves the Tweens. Um, and this has been set up by Rebecca Mano, who's very, who's very yeah, big in that space. Yeah. And so often we send, and she, she helps with the transport, send boxes of books down there to that library. And Mr. Beschlanger, who is the uh, camp, who's the head of that camp there, has been very encouraging um, in his response to this and how how much he he's pleased to see this this well-stocked library there. Mm. So yeah, so many stories. So we've got viewers watching all over the world, Kate. How do they get to you? Can they? What help should they provide? Can they? They can. They can always reach me on Twitter. So um, I'm on at KPCZIM. Um, so a lot of people reach me by DM on Twitter, and then we take it from there and work mm. out how to get the books in, what kind of books. I always try to make sure that um, that we match the books that are available with what people have requested. Mm. Um, so we, we're not just handing out anything, but people who want books and who approach me and say, look, I'm in Zimbabwe, or often I'm an old pupil of a school and I'd like to get books into my school. We work together to try and find mm. out which books are the most appropriate. Mm. And any financial outlay related to what you do? So, um, yeah, obviously when the books come in, there is uh, there is a price to pay at the post office, which, um, which I cover. Um, I am fortunate in that I do have some help, particularly from a lovely family in the States who are called the Eastmans. Mm. And, uh, and they will often help me cover books, particularly when I'm mm. purchasing books from Zimbabwean writers. Mm. You know, the, the, the work that you do is beautiful because it's an example of the change we can affect around us as individuals without anybody saying, do this. It's an example of what private enterprise can do. It's an example of what private initiative can do if allowed to flourish, which is why for me, I'm in total awe of what you do and absolutely love what you do. 
Thank so you. keep on doing it, keep on doing it. Let's go to Paris. You spent a lot of time um, going through bookshops in Paris. Talk to us about that experience. I did. So after, after university, I, I moved to Paris um, and I was working as a journalist in Paris. I worked first for the International Herald Tribune and then um, Agence France Presse. Um, but I also spent a lot of time in bookshops there. So there are, um, there's, a, there's a very famous bookshop, or there was a very famous bookshop called Shakespeare and Company, which was secondhand books on the, on the banks of the River Seine. Um, there's also a chain of books, of bookstores called the FNAC. And that was just my preferred way of spending Saturday afternoons, right. uh, particularly in Montparnasse, the snack there, and buying French books mm. um, and, and, and discovering new French authors. Any similar experience in Zimbabwe? So um, there, there isn't quite the same uh, uh, number and volume of mm. bookstores. Mm. I do love spending time in bookstores here, so I go a lot to innovate in Arundel, uh, and I go to Blackstone, also in Bond Street. And then I've always found it very interesting how you have uh, books being sold in places where you wouldn't always expect them to be. Um, I go sometimes to the Celebration Church in Borodale. They have a very interesting bookstore. That's where I found Rotendo Guatizzo's mm. Born to Fight. Lots of books there by Imelda Tsumba. Um, so those are interesting, but I also, um, I often tell the story of walking through an, a, a little shopping arcade in Matari, um, during, um, during a time when, uh, books were certainly not very easily purchasable in Matari. And it was a clothes shop, um, and, and they had hats and, 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 and feather things out of the window, but they also had, a pile of books just outside with the with the uh, title Mills and Boom. Mm. <laughs> and that was how you could get your romance books. Right. Of course, those are also very yeah. popular. Yeah, interesting. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people out there, uh, you know, started their reading on uh, Mills and Boom and uh, James Hadley Chase, eh? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the fiction uh, detect detective and, and love stories. Um, interesting, like you said, that we all approach reading from from different right. angles. When you came to Zimbabwe, we, we, you you then started deliberately seeking Zimbabwean authors. Yeah, talk to me about that and 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 the inspiration behind that. So that comes from my own my own personality. I love to uh, read authors of places that I visit. So just as when I was in France picking up French authors. Um, the way I learned Italian, because I studied languages at university, was by reading romance books in Italian. The language was slightly simpler. Um, so it was, it was much easier to pick up the Italian. So the same in Zimbabwe, I came here um, and um, would spend some time, at that point, was a, a, the, the main bookshop was still Kingston's. Um, and one of the first Books I found read uh, written more recently was Charles Mungoshi's mm. Walking Still. Um, I, I still have a copy of that. Um, so, and, and I've just been so interested and so encouraged to see how writers have carried on with great pers persistence and and often a lot of bravery to make sure their books, these things that they labour mm. over, are still getting out into the market here. Mm. You remind me of um, um, Kingstones. Corner, um, now do I remember where, where it was? Um, Second Street Extension and uh, 
uh, yeah, right there. It had two floors, lots of books. You could get lost looking for books. That's one of the things we've lost in this country, sadly. Yeah. Um, so the Kingston's I went to used to be somewhere down by Jameson Hotel. I see. Okay. So possibly not the same one. Um, you still can, I think. Um, I spend a lot of time on Avondale Market, and there are some amazing booksellers there. Mm. Alois as well. Alo- Maybe I need to expand my uh, footprint. Um, the, one of the people that you you've discovered is uh, Beat- Beatrice Tonozai. Um, and um, you say you like, you know, the writing of uh, uh, contemporary writing in newspapers. Where does it come from and what's supposed to be the attraction to that? So I think this is in the sort of 2000, the, the, the sort of 2008, 9, 10, when I think I'm right in saying that there wasn't quite as much publishing mm. happening, um, but there was still really exciting uh, writing being published in the papers. Um, I've always read Mighty Samba. I find that, uh, I find just those mini stories brilliant. Um, and so Beatrice Tonadzai, who I know a little bit, I used to love reading her commons, uh, her com- uh, columns, which were about contemporary Zimbabwean mm. life. Um, there was also a great writer in the Manika Post. We spent a lot of time in Matari, and um, there was a lady there writing um, something called Diary of a 30-something Lady. Uh, if you've read Bridget Jones' Diary, mm. she was doing something very similar to that, but in Zimbabwe, and, and reinventing it wow. very powerfully. So talking about what it was like to, to, to manage uh, power shortages, to manage uh, friends and their marital issues, to manage, you know, get beauty salons and shortages of things. And she did it in a very masterful way. And I have actually tracked her down in a cafe in Matari. Her name is Anne Rutenberg. Yeah. Um, and we had a great conversation. Um, so I just find it fascinating that a lot of the, the, the writing that I enjoy is actually started off in newspapers, mm. which I think is probably mm. a universal phenomenon. One is uh, Elvis Ndebele, mm. who works in Chilocho, and he, uh, he, he pivoted to do a lot via WhatsApp. And so he was supporting with, uh, with lessons via WhatsApp, children who had, had at the time almost no access to education. Mm. So he would send me copies, sometimes copies of lessons. And he, he had some amazing results later on with children who had done well, in, in large part, I'm sure, by the support that he um, and, and his partners had given. Imagine getting free access to the Newsday, the Standard, the Zimbabwe Independent and the Weekly Digest for a full month. Well, you can. And all you need to do is download the Newsday e-reader app on Google Play Store or scan the Newsday QR code in any of the AMH print publications and start enjoying the quality content. Kate, you, you talk about your experience in the space during COVID, um, realizing that there isn't lots of books around and also that not many people have Kindle um, or have access to, to the podcast. Talk to us about that experience and what it made you do. So 
so there's two things that came out of that. One, one was that the some of the groups that I was already working with um, really reinvented themselves to make sure that they were getting books and reading matter to uh, to students despite the lockdown and the inability of meeting together. So. Um, I was working with two amazing uh, guys who, who both have their own projects. Um, and, and, and I should stress that this is very much about supporting mm. Zimbabweans who, 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 who build things themselves. And one is uh, Elvis Ndebele, mm. who works in Cholocho. And he, uh, he, he pivoted to do a lot via WhatsApp. And so he was supporting with uh, with lessons via WhatsApp children who had had at the time almost no access to education. Mm. So he would send me you know, copies, sometimes copies of lessons, and he he had some amazing results later on with children who had done well in in large part, wow. I'm sure, by the support that he um, and and his partners had given. Uh, another guy who who managed to pivot onto audio notes, so voice notes, and he was reading and friends were reading out stories on WhatsApp and then they were sending them to children who would normally have come to borrow the books that they were distributing and and um, and you know just just amazing piece of work that was happening there in Chapin. So so beautiful, so it inspirational is so stuff. Inspirational. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm totally uh, in awe of what people will do here mm. um, who, who really believe in the power of reading and want to get it mm. to people. But there's another thing. And the thing that I also found amazing was the number of people who actually then took the COVID period here in Zimbabwe and actually wrote their books and then published them. And that to me was just one of the most inspirational things about that lockdown period. Um, I'm going to talk about one, if you'll allow sure, me, absolutely. one amazing book yeah. that I keep coming back to. It is by um, Tindai Garway. Mm -hmm. um, some of the viewers here may know her. She uh, she also Sokostina. goes by the Sokostina. Sokostina, um, and, and I know her a little bit uh, as well. Sokostina wrote a book which came out during that period. It's it's a it's called Letter to My Son. And it comes from her own experience. And, and you, you may be aware that she had this, this very serious accident. And she told me that when she came around from the accident, all she could think of was her son and the fact that she had nearly lost her life and there were things she needed to tell her son. So she put them down on paper in this very difficult time of her life. She wrote this this uh, series of letters to her son and they're very, they, they come from a mother's love. Um, but and they're very practical letters. So things about, you know, you've got to do personal hygiene, relationships, consent, finances, keep reading. Um, and and first of all, it's very good writing. She has such a strong voice. And I think, uh, you know, that, that's something we we appreciate when we read books. So very clean, smooth writing with a strong voice. But it also Sokostina's son is, is about the same age as my son, both teenagers. It comes from you know, a mother's love for her child right. and also an appreciation of a mother, you know, a, a parent's uh, understanding mm. of the, their child's good heart. Mm. And I just found from a personal level that that was so touching and so powerful. So I've bought consignments of her book several times and I always recommend that book. It came out during COVID, but there are many, many others. I, I, your excitement is infectious, as I see it here. I mean, it, it it comes from deep down, and and this is 
your passion for distributing books of uh, lesser known authors. Uh, do you want to run down some of those names of the, the Zimbabwean book, uh, authors that are not that well known? Yeah, so I'm very interested in the work of emerging authors. Mm. Um, part of that is because it is so difficult within publishing to 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 get your work out there and that's not just a, that's not just the case in Zimbabwe it is around the world i'm part of a big facebook group with writers um who who are in the us who are in 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 europe and the the struggle is always to get your work out there and so i've been hugely impressed by the work of zimbabweans who say okay Let's forget that model. Let me just get my work out there. And they go into self-publishing. So obviously, Tendai Gardaway, mm -hmm. there's um, uh, Andrew Chatura. Um, there are a number of authors who have published through a diaspora publisher who actually, this isn't entirely self-publishing, um, but emerging authors, Vice and Ganga, mm -hmm. who's published by Carnelian Hart, which is run by Samantha Vazuri. The wonderful thing about Vice and Ganga is that he wrote his whole book on WhatsApp messages and sent all those WhatsApp messages <laughs> to his publisher. And she brought out this stunning, stunning, high wow. quality book. Wow. Um, so love those. I've just read a book called What School Didn't Teach My Daughter by a lady called Talent Manyonga. Mm -hmm. about, it was about finance and, and financial literacy. Um, so another brilliant Zimbabwean author. Um, Rutendo Guatidzo, who I spoke to before, she wrote Born to Fight. Imelda Tsumba uh, writes a lot of uh, books around her faith and also um, uh, encouragement to to couples, uh, sort of family dynamics. Um, Edith Otete, uh, Reinvented and Victorious. I could go on and on. <laughs> wow. Books. Like I said, your passion is pretty um, uh, authentic and, and, and infectious. So you, 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 you do two things. You encourage people to read and you distribute books, but you also encourage authors. Talk to me about that. I do. Um, I, um, I can't, so first of all, writers and readers, I think there's a very thin line. Um, I think many, many of us have a book in the, inside ourselves mm. that we would like to get out. Um, I, um, I find just the whole sort of story of writing exceedingly inspirational. Mm. Um, and I think um, I just I just love some of the stories of people who've pushed themselves, often with great local encouragement to actually get their words down onto paper and to persist. Um, from a very personal point of view, I had to learn very early on that there's a huge difference between being able to write a 700 word piece on deadline, and they're actually <laughs> managing to sustain a narrative arc, or you know, a, a very tight structure, depending on what kind of book mm, book you're mm, writing, mm. and having the the persistence and the bravery to to finish, to seek other readers, and then to actually get it out mm. there. I, I admire people <laughs> who write books because the discipline, Huge. the tenacity, the the focus, and everything else. I mean, I mean. We had um, uh, my good friend uh, Petina Gapa here. I have lots of respect for people who can sit down and write 400 pages. And, it is uh, not easy. Uh, research <laughs> and, and, and everything else. Yeah. Um, 
Let's go to, you've already given us a, a glimpse of uh, your upbringing. Let's go to where you were born and where you were raised and the impact that had on who you've become. So I was born in Derby um, uh, when my father was still doing his PhD in chemistry. Um, we, I spent a lot of my childhood in Lincolnshire. So Lincolnshire is a, a rural part of East England. Um, so certainly not the big city life. Um, I, I then went to university in Cambridge, um, a place with, um, if you've been there, a library in every college. Um, and that was, you know, that was for somebody like me, that was an amazing, amazing place to be. And, and it was great fun going to see friends in different colleges and spending time in their libraries. Um, spent a lot of time in the university library there mm, as well with friends mm. on, on, on the university library steps having picnics, plotting how we could actually access books. Because even though you had these huge, huge university libraries, what would happen was that we all needed the same book at mm. the same time. Um, and so even back then, there were issues around, um, around piracy, which is a, which is a problem yeah. we face here. There was issues then in the UK around that, certainly. And then issues around students hiding books so that, <laughs> so that they had access to them. <laughs> and, and getting books from the library and tearing away pages. Um, I believe that may have happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think we did it when we did university in a very important book and you need to read and, and, and study it and you don't have the time. By the time you send it back, you've taken 10 or pages out. Um, I, I, I plead guilty, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you, um, you did an MPhil. Uh, in European literature, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Talk to us about that. Yes. So I studied languages as my first degree, European languages, French and Italian. And then I, um, I got a scholarship to do uh, an MPhil in European literature. At the time, I did my thesis on a medieval Italian author called Boccaccio. Giovanni Boccaccio. <laughs> Giovanni Boccaccio, who wrote a book called The Decameron. Um, in later years, I always felt that this was maybe not an illustrious part of my career. You know, it was so niche. But then we had COVID. And of course, the thing about Giovanni Boccaccio's Decameron is that it is a series of stories written during the plague in, in Italy and written when people have to separate themselves from the rest of the world. And they tell stories to pass the time. And I think you'll be seeing links here now. So, that, so texts are being created um, as both an escape from a very harsh reality, mm. um, but also a way of coping with that reality and, and finding a way of carrying on living. So, yeah, did my did my thesis on laughter in Boccaccio's Decameron. Mm -hmm. they, they say that there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. Everything that we're going through has happened before. And for me, this brings me to the beauty of reading, you know, old texts, yeah. um, old lit literature, which is why I found your interest in the Decameron uh, very interesting. And I'm sure one day I'll, I'll, I'll go there. You, you then tried to do a PhD. I tried to do an MPhil. MPhil. I did lots of research at the archives. I dropped it. It's one of my biggest failures in life. And uh, uh, when I do have the flashbacks, I feel guilty. But uh, why did you drop out from your PhD? So, I, I don't see it as a failure now. But um, you did at some point. I did 
before. So I dropped out. I so I was going down a very narrow route. So I'd moved away from Boccaccio. I had started to look at a medieval uh, French feminist author. Um, she's called Marguerite de Navarre. She wrote something called the Heptameron, which is what Boccaccio also is the same sort of um, model as Boccaccio as Decameron. Um, and it's a story. The, the way I was looking at the story was both about the power of political networks and again um, the power of, of a woman in a time when when we look back we don't always think women were that powerful she was very powerful um, and how she used text and stories to kind of reinvent uh, reinvent reality to establish power systems however I realized increasingly that I was going down a very narrow road and that I was going to spend the rest of my life in uh, in those ivory towers. And at that point, that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. So I started to secretly move out of the university library. I went to the, to the town library in Cambridge, which was very different. And I started to revise, teach myself financial journalism. And so, so these were not books I was getting from the library. So it was a whole new language. Um, and, and I realized that this was, that I, I wanted to go this way. Um, and then I, yeah, I left very suddenly. Um, and in, in a way that I'm not particularly proud of, I, I didn't give my <laughs> I didn't give my supervisors chance to try and persuade me to stay, um, and I give all credit to my parents, who must have been terrified um, to think that their daughter, who had funding, gave this up and went to become a you know a, a journalist with with not a great salary. I moved fairly quickly. I worked in London for a while, but moved fairly quickly to Paris, where I'd spent time before. Um, I think looking back that you have to know when to stop. Mm. Um, and, and that was the right time for me to stop something, but it's difficult, it's like books. A lot of people tell me they feel really guilty when they start a book and they don't finish it. I think it's fine. Mm. I think- It's okay. It's okay. Mm. And that's what, I, that's what I think about that mm. period of my life as well. What was the attraction to journalism? Um, it, that's a really good question. Um, I actually, think that I hadn't done a lot of research on careers because for a long time I had thought I just wanted to become an academic. And you know, the books that I read and reread as a child were very old books often. And um, there weren't that many. It seems difficult to, to believe this nowadays, but actually the books that I loved, the really old fashioned books that my mother had loved, the choices for a woman were between being a writer and, and being a homemaker. And um, and I only realised that much later in life. And so I inst and so I loved these books, and they were always about you know little women and 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 and, and people who who wrote within within those stories, women who wrote within those stories. Um, I, I did sort of fall into journalism. <laughs> I um, I had friends who were already in journalism. I had contacts there. And I, it just sounded like a great thing for, for someone to do. Mm -hmm. And and uh, did you enjoy it? Have you enjoyed it? Did you enjoy it? I did. I loved did. it. When you look back now, you're no longer a practicing journalist. What's your what's your view of the profession? So um, so it's changed a lot. I was a text journalist. Um, I loved the rigor of it. I loved the challenge of uh, arriving somewhere, having to pull together a story very, very quickly, having to work out who the key players were, the challenge of networking very fast to be able to get what I needed for a story, of meeting deadlines. That was a huge point of pride that I would go through floods, but I would always meet my deadline. 
I loved that. I loved the buzz of it.、Um, it's also certainly certainly the things I did quite quite a solitary life.、Um, I didn't work for long in a newsroom.、Um, so yeah, I I I enjoyed that. I loved it. But again, it was time for a change. I had to learn very early on that there's a huge difference between being able to write a 700 word piece. On deadline, and they're actually <laughs> managing to sustain a narrative arc, or you know, a, a very tight structure, depending on what kind of book、mm, book you're mm, writing,、mm. and having the the persistence and the bravery to to finish, to seek other readers, and then to actually get it out、mm. there. So, what kind of a reader are you? Let me describe the kind of reader that I am. I feel guilty when I don't finish a book, and you say they are on. It's okay. I used to read one book at a time, but I now read five at any time. At any given time, there be five books that I'm 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 reading, and I go to the book that I'm feeling. My mood is text text me there, and that's an interesting space to be. What kind of a reader are you? So I identify with a lot of that.、Um, I always have a lot of books on the go.、Um, I、uh, also I go, I will pick up books according to my mood if I think they will, if I think that they meet that mood somewhere. I love the idea that books can also cure you or heal you. Just like I, I think there was a, a brilliant book written by an Irish writer about. Certain fruits could cure or heal you, but also the idea that texts can really support you.、Mm. I am a speed reader,、mm. which has been、uh, intensely helpful.、Um, so I can I can look at the page and and so I can look at the page and then move on to the next page, and so therefore I can get through a book in a couple of hours.、Um, that does depend on the book.、Um, I'm just thinking back to this last weekend. So I met the wonderful publisher I've just mentioned, her Samantha Bazore, and she gave me very kindly a pile of about seven books to、uh, to be able to distribute.、Mm. And so when that happens, and this delicious pile of new books, I need to get through them really quickly. We went away for the weekend. I took two with me. I had a couple of hours on Saturday morning.、Um, one was Pauline Magashwangwe's book Crocodile River, and the other was 3:15 a.m. and other. Stories by Rudo Manieri. I'm horrified to think that I hadn't read any of her writing before. Wow!、Um, but I did get through both of those books very quickly on Saturday.、Um, one. You, you wanted to get through them quickly. I needed to get through them quickly because 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 they must go to readers.、Um, so I I speed read them. It it、uh, there's there's a very Good technique, not、uh, to 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 help you remember what you've read, which is when you've finished reading. Obviously, you're not going to remember、mm. every single thing,、mm. but you remember three points about the book that you've just finished, and that helps you. Then, when you go through those three points and you and you, you're reflecting on them, then you will remember. You'll be able to pad it out. So, what do you, you write down the three points? I don't always write them down, but I make sure、That's、I know them. I mean, you can also do it in your professional life、mm. as well when you've been in meetings and you, you come out with three things、mm. that you remember. I'm a slow, ponderous reader. Like my husband, I highlight, I、uh, make notes, and as a result, people ask for my books, but I can't give you a book when I'm done with it because it's absolutely red.
My wife, on the other hand, is a very fast reader. Um, she will finish two or three books a day sometimes. So um, then the other thing where I want your point of view is, I can't read fiction. I used to read fiction long back, James Hadley Chase and uh, Mills and Boone, but I've lost the interest completely. And I can't read for entertainment. So for me, um, it's I read serious stuff, stuff that makes me think, challenges the way I think. I, I cannot stand fiction. I know Petina is going to be upset with me uh, for saying that. What's your view on that? I think that's fine. I mean, I would encourage you to read fiction as well, when you can, and I cited Petita. Um, I think that reading fiction um, teaches us empathy um, and, uh, and puts us in situations that we might not normally find ourselves in and stretches us that way. So it is a way of stretching and learning and growing. But I also love reading uh, business books, commentary. Um, there's a great tradition here of motivational books. Mm. One of the first writers I encountered was Milton Camwendo, mm -hmm. uh, Let the Lion in You Roar, um, and uh, was really taken by his writing. He was writing at a particular time um, in Zimbabwe's more recent history. And I think the power of his writing is it can't be overstated. He obviously still writes uh, a column in, in, in the papers. Um, but I, and, and, and the things that he's talking about are experiences that are universal to all of us. What you do when you encounter difficulties, how you set goals, how you meet goals, what happens when you don't meet those mm. goals. I think those are really, yeah, that's, that's about reading as, um, as something useful, reading that helps us grow, reading that helps us in yeah. our daily lives. So I, so, so I can see both sides. Yeah, but you, you say that some people um, look down upon uh, motivational stories. Why would anybody look down upon motivational stories? Good question. Um, I have encountered people who think who, who who take that view. I think some people have a very purist idea of what a book is, what literature <laughs> is, what literature is, um, and and that's that's their right to do that. Um, I think, you know, from my own point of view, it's much more flexible. It's about what you look for in a book, what you feel comfortable with, and also trying not to to impose those ideas on other people. Mm. So uh, certainly, my own son. Um, loves doesn't love fiction his sister loves fiction my husband loves everything including nature books um uh, and and will quite happily sit with handbooks of birds on his by the side of his bedside table mm. i told you about my son reading car magazines so many stories i think i think the important thing is that we're reading mm. your, your your son um who's sitting with us here as we do this sam tinashe speaks fluent shona do you think you have had an impact on him in terms of uh, reading? Yes, not always positive. Um, Sam uh, was read to a lot as a child. Um, we, I in particular, my husband read a lot to my daughter, I read a lot to my son, um, and I would read him to him all the time, often books, adult books. I think one of the effects that that had was that Sam therefore felt that he didn't actually need to read it because <laughs> his mother would read for him. Um, I'm happy to say that he came back to reading later on, um, but he certainly doesn't like fictional books. Mm. Uh, but he, but he has grown up in a household where he sees his parents with a lot of books. I hope that's rubbed off on him. Mm. He talks about wanting to write his own book, and that would fill me with great oh, pride wow. if he actually does it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, um, any book coming from you at all? 
Um, There's a book in all of us. So aren't we all writing books? <laughs> I have, I have at least three unfinished manuscripts. Mm-hmm. That's why I admire all those Zimbabweans who actually managed to finish mm-hmm. theirs. One of my long-term aims is to get a stretch of time when I can actually devote myself to finishing those manuscripts. Um, but it's but it's also a source of pleasure. I spend, I maybe just get 20 minutes and I'll write a quick scene. Mm. Um, I don't know how many of those will ever find into, into final versions. Mm. But mm. yeah. Mm. The, the, I, so I find that with my daughter, Maya Palesta, uh, she's 16, and um, they are on TikTok, Instagram, mostly. Yeah. Um, and my sense is that that has affected their attitude towards reading. Is, is that your sense with your kids? Um, has social media, has technology affected the way our children ought to be looking at books? I think that is a very valid concern. I think a lot of parents share it. Um, I don't know that it will be as uh, as detrimental as we fear. Obviously, you've got book talk on TikTok, so you've got book lovers who are who are who are talking about the books that they love on TikTok. Um, I think that the bleed between not just different platforms but different mediums, so hard hard copies of books, then you've got Kindle, then you've got you, then you've got these social media platforms, you've got different forms of writing coming out. And of course, you've got Zimbabwean author Edith Oteti, who talks a lot about how we can help our children navigate digital spaces. So I think that um, there will always be a place for books. There'll always be a place for hard copy books. Um, but I think that also we have to recognize that stories and books don't always take those traditional forms. Mm. I spoke earlier about podcasts. I get a lot of stories these days from podcasts. I think our children absorb those kind of audio, the, the, you know, the oral tradition. And in some ways that's interesting because that takes us right back mm. to the right back to the past. Yeah. My yeah. grandmother used to tell stories. Mm. Wonderful uh, writers here. I, I remember reading a few years back Minister Sekain Zenza used to write very evocatively about her, uh, her, her family's experiences and, and about that, those traditions of sharing stories around the fire. So, so I think it's, it's going to be fascinating yeah. to see how this evolves. Yeah. Before we go on to books, I want you to share your interesting <laughs> story of um, how you came to be in Africa. How I came to be in Africa. Mm. So I, <laughs> I grew up. So as you know, I grew up in the UK. Yeah. Um, I had lived in France. I came to Africa for the very first time uh, as part of my work, um, and uh, it was, you know, it was it was a very new place to me. Although I travelled quite a bit in the in the north of Africa, I came to southern Africa for my work. The whole truth is that I met a Zimbabwean. That's the truth I wanted the world to know. <laughs> yes, and then? And then, so then, uh, so then, well, it's a bit like a storybook, as my children say. So then I, 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 I married that Zimbabwean. <laughs> and, I stayed in, and I stayed in the region. Not all the time, but I've, but I've been here for a long time. Fantastic. We love what you do. And we're grateful for the Zimbabwean who, who got you for us. You know, I'm going to 
ask you about books. Uh, people that watch this show every week love books. The book recommendation is perhaps one of the favorite for a lot of people. Share with us um, three or so books that have had a huge impact on you and why. So the first one, obviously, I have to go with some Zimbabwean authors. The first one is Joe Rizzo, um, Behind Enemy Lines. Um, I hope Joe won't mind me saying this. He, he let me see that book before it actually went out into the world. Um, I read it, and from the first page, I knew he was onto something. Mm. Um, he, has, he, he, again, has a very, very strong voice, like Socastina. Um, he writes a collection of short stories. You'll know from, from what I talked about, the yeah. things that I'd studied. Short stories are very interesting to me. I, I love the first one. It's, it's, it's a very masterful um, portrayal of a, of a young boy trying to get home after curfew, after mm. dark, and his, his mother and his mother's friends looking out for him. And he, he's navigating all these things as he, as he jumps over hedges and, and, and uh, behind doors to get home. I think that book has lots of stories within that book have great potential as films. So I love that book. The second one is... Um, it's actually by a former UK ambassador. Mm -hmm. uh, his name is Tom Fletcher, mm -hmm. and it's called 10 Survival Skills for a World in Flux. Mm -hmm. um, and his thesis is that um, uh, the world is changing and we need to, um, we need to adapt the way that we have traditionally learned and, and, and lived together. He also places a, a lot of emphasis on, on books and, 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 get, and, and, and making sure people are able to read books. But he has very interesting and insightful, uh, um, thoughts on how education should change mm. to meet the challenges of the evolving world. So you've got short chapters, how to be kind, uh, and, uh, and he, he just develops his thesis through, and it's it's a great, great read. So those are two. Um, another book which bridges my interest in, in memoir and, and my own personal life, I came to often, I love rereading, so I speed read, but I also reread. Um, and it is a book uh, called Miriam's Kitchen um, by a US journalist called Elizabeth Ehrlich. It's not a recent book now. I think it's, it's probably 20 years old. Um, and she in it uh, talks about the conflict between being a professional working mother, but also having this very rich, um, rich and sometimes complicated history. She married into a family where the, her mother-in-law had, had uh, gone through the Holocaust. And so she's trying to resolve the conflict between a very busy yeah. professional life, raising children, but also making space for her mother-in-law's history, the history of recipes and, and, and bringing that, the, the whole self. And I'm interested in that, the whole self, bringing the whole self to, wow. to work and life. Kate, what a conversation. You know, thoroughly enjoyed myself. You know, we could go on and on talking about books and talking about your passion. So infectious, so authentic. Um, like I said, Kate, you know, I brought you here because I absolutely love what you do. Um, I, I follow you on Twitter, I follow you on Instagram, and I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by the energy you put into lighting the light on focusing the light on other people, not other people doing, and giving of yourself for the betterment of others and the recognition of other people's work. I wish most of us could do that. Um, that's how you change a country, by doing what you enjoy doing and expanding your sphere of influence. So 
Thank you for creating the time to be here. We celebrate people like you. We love people like you. We want to recognize people like you. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very honored. Fantastic. Allow me now to turn to our viewers who are all over the world to watch this show every Monday on YouTube, Central African time. My friend Hope Walchinona says we're a television show. I think we are now. Um, so thank you so much for your support. If you enjoyed this show, remember uh, to subscribe, to like, and to share so that when you subscribe, you'll get a notification every time we have one of those quality conversations. We have gone a step forward, uh, further rather, and built a website for you where all our quality conversations uh, sit. We now have podcasts for all our conversations for your listening pleasure. Go onto the website, click onto the links, and enjoy listening to these quality conversations. We read all of your comments, uh, the criticism, the praise, which doesn't go into our heads, and we thank you so much for your support. Until next time, cheers to you all. Mm -hmm.